All right, guys, before we kick off this episode, I do want to shout out our new segment again. It's called Extravagant Experiences. It's where you guys get to interact with us and we get to interact with you. Send us an email at firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. Again, that's firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. Send us emails of your craziest experience or story or whatever. You can send multiple in. doesn't matter to us. The more, the merrier. Uh, it could have happened to you, a family member or a friend or whatever. Just make sure it's okay with that family member or friend before you send it to us because this is going to be public and it may be listened to by a lot of people one day. But yeah, it's it's a chance to get to interact with us. And what's going to happen is we're going to read your story from the email on our podcast and we're going to give it a rating on a scale of one to 10. We're going to use points systems. So we're going to be rating things, you know, 7.4, 8.5, whatever, um, just so it's easier to decipher who has a better story by the end of the season. And at the end of the season or at the end of the three-month period or whatever period we decide to be the the, the end of things, we're going to pick the best story that has the best rating between Matt and I, and we're going to bring that person onto the show and just do a little interview with them to, again, create a way for us to interact with our listeners more and just kind of create more of a community around this podcast. I think it would be really cool to do that. And so that's what we're going to, what we're going to try to start up with this podcast. Again, if you want to be a part of it, which I think you should be, cause it's a pretty cool thing to do. Um, and we definitely want to get to know more of our listeners. So I think it's a great opportunity to do that. And again, if you want your story to be heard and you want some recognition and you want us to rate your story, which again, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, you should send in your story in an email to firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. So again, thank you guys for listening in advance to this episode and we hope you enjoy. What is up everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Sunday, July 23rd. We're in person and we miss it by a day. We promised you guys an episode yesterday on Saturday in anticipation of being here in Richmond together, but uh, that didn't happen yesterday, but we're doing it today. So it's better than missing it by, you know, two weeks, which we've definitely done in the past. So here today, we're going to have an episode on this is kind of the final episode of the summer season sports uh, before our football talk starts next episode. So pretty much the whole entire month of August, I guess maybe, you know, this last episode in Ju- in July that we're going to do this coming week. With the exception of that, all of August is going to be uh, football. And you guys are going to hear about college football, NFL. We're going to do so many predictions of win totals. Um, for college football, we're going to do conference episodes. So we're going to split it up by SEC and Big Ten for one episode. And then we're going to do the other three Power Fives in another episode. And then we're actually planning on doing each division we're going we're going we're going to do an episode on each division so it's it's basically going to be eight episodes on each division in the NFL which is going to be a pretty big grind but we're going to try to get that done hopefully we're going to be free enough to do two episodes per week and i think we've calculated it to the point where we can do it'll take it'll take us four weeks essentially to do that cuz you know two episodes per week eight different divisions in football um and so we've kind of calculated it out today we were sitting at uh Baker's Crust in in the mall and we were sitting at the table together just talking about podcasts and like the kind of the future month that we're that we're looking at here and uh we decided that we would do that so 
hopefully our plan goes goes accordingly. Some you know it hasn't really in the past or recent past, but uh, but foot. I mean it's football, so we gotta we gotta get it done for football. It's our favorite thing to talk about. It's our it's our specialty. So uh, we'll we'll find a way to get it done, and we'll get that to you guys soon enough. But like I said, today is our last day of summer sports and talking about things that aren't as enjoyable to talk about, but we still got to get that content out. So today we'll be talking about NBA free agency, as we've promised for the past week or so. Um, We're going to be talking about pretty much everything that's happened up until now and also things that have yet to happen, kind of our predictions on where things will go with that. And then we have some Formula One talk. Excited to talk about Formula One again because there's actually been a pretty big switch up in the in the dynamic or like kind of just the whole field in general of teams and drivers. And then we've got some golf talk. The uh, British Open actually finished today and there was a pretty surprising winner. And then um, we got our rundown up our rundown section at the end, which we'll kind of just play by ear. We're going to play most of this episode by ear. We don't really have many topics written out or like questions written out. Um, We usually don't write out that many words on our doc. We kind of just give like a little, short summary paragraph introduction and then ask some questions related to it but we don't even really have that for most of our topics today so we're just going to be kind of going off the dome today but uh that's what that's what matt and i do best so with that being said i've got matt on the other end here sitting right next to me matt how are you i'm great and as he had mentioned yeah man football is right around the corner whether you kind of realize it or not i think that obviously you know kind of being in the being in the betting space a lot i'm, I'm kind of always focus on I think I was betting my first college football win total in like March um so I've kind of been on it for obviously kind of just getting in listening to podcasts reading articles and stuff for for the better part of the last few months but even myself you know kind of haven't really gotten into the mode of like okay it's actually here right I mean a month from a a month from this week essentially um will be week zero college football and and then we're kind of off to the races from there uh and and as I mentioned we kind of devised a a good plan and and schedule for actually kind of doing our our NFL previews and and college previews and stuff like that because I think that you know we 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 did it last year but we kind of did it in a very condensed version I at least remember at least that we only did really two preview episodes for the NFL one was the NFC win totals and one was the AFC win totals as Hayden mentioned um and I just remember during that episode like having so much to say about every one of these teams but we only had you know three minutes per team that we could go after uh, and both of us had to talk right so it's kind of like give your opinion and and leave whereas I think it, it's a lot it's a lot easier to get more of a deep dive into these teams when you're only focusing on four teams for the entire episode. And it may seem like a lot, but I think that, you know, there is so much to cover for, for all these teams and especially for, you know, how much information we're able to get at this point uh, in the season, you know, now more than ever. Um, and the fact that, you know, they're, they're you know, we kind of just right, update people on the changes and, you know, where different players are playing and, and how we think the teams are going to do. So um, I'm excited for that very much so, um, especially, you know, kind of starting off with college here, which uh, which which is it's more of a niche thing, but but definitely something that, that you know, that's one of my favorite uh, sports to cover. Uh, and, and and we will have rundown t- segments in the, you know, in, in those episodes as well, um, just for kind of, you know, the, the, the stuff that kind of leaks through the cracks in terms of bigger news that happens during that time. It won't be a ton, but you know, if someone gets hurt or whatever, we'll kind of, we'll kind of mention it here and there. So, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm super excited for that. Obviously last year, like I said, kind of the only reason we didn't do a full, I guess, you know, super in-depth preview was the other thing was that we were doing the NCAA doomsday series, which me and Hayden talked about earlier today, as he mentioned. Um, and that, that again was kind of our, our, uh, you know, the big project, at least for last year. Whereas I think this year there wasn't, there isn't necessarily, you know, some big, 
huge topic that we need to cover that's you know that's super general and, and, and high level view uh and allows us some more time to kind of get into you know deep dive on, on nfl stuff so um with that being said we will get into this week's episode starting with the nba free agency uh, again, kind of just a list of stuff here. Not necessarily like Hayden said. We're not we're not super uh, not super locked in on exactly following a script necessarily for each of these topics. Um, but we're kind of at least for the free agency stuff. There, there's kind of just a list of things that have had that have happened so far. You know, teams that have traded players and, and players that have requested trades and, and all that. Um, versus, you know, kind of the the nature of who's been signed already and then obviously you know kind of the, the big name stars who are awaiting either a decision on where they're going to be signed or if they're going to get traded or if they're just going to continue uh, to stay with their own team so off the bat um, kind of the, the bigger trade that happened and, and it was again it was kind of a three-team deal a lot of stuff happened but the Celtics were kind of the main part of this and essentially what happened was they traded away Grant Williams and Marcus Smart to in, in a roundabout way, acquire Chris Stapp's Porzingis, right, from the Wizards. So um, that was part of the kind of the, the, the bigger news after. Obviously, we, we talked about the Bradley Beal thing, right? He went to the Suns and, and all that. Um, so so if you if you need some, if, if you're really, really itching to hear about how Bradley Beal fits into the Suns' uh, core with uh, Josh Okoge this upcoming season, you can listen to that episode where we talked about, uh, talked about that trade. But, um, yeah, so obviously Hayden, I mean, not, you know, I, I don't think – I mean, he is a Celtics fan, I guess, not necessarily, you know, like super diehard or whatever, but, um, but we, we, we did talk a lot about, it, especially to end the playoffs uh, this year. You know, kind of in the you know when when the Celtics were were kind of still in their Eastern Conference Finals and whatnot. We did talk a lot about you know wh- where is this team going you know what are they going to do specifically regarding Jason Tatum and and uh, and Jalen Brown you know do are they going to sign Jalen Brown or are they not they did end up signing Jalen Brown or they I, I don't think they have yet but they're all indications point to the fact yeah. that they're going to uh and so that kind of was the genesis for okay we still we kind of need to start moving some moving some pieces um Grant Williams ex- uh, his rookie contract was expiring so they kind of got rid of him and then Marcus Smart as well who's been there for really the whole time um but I think that you know his style of game and, and and what he means to the Celtics just I think didn't really matter as much anymore and that I guess in my mind is is why they kind of were able to let him go there but um but yeah so that I think kind of just being said Hayden how do you feel about the Celtics what they did this kind of move of of trading away two you know pretty core pieces to their team to acquire you know a, a guy in Kristaps Porzingis who has been I guess you could say up and down, inconsistent throughout his career. He was he was you know hyped up as one of these unicorn prospects, seven one can shoot the three and and you know and, and play great defense. Uh, but you know when he got drafted by the Knicks, he he was okay. You know didn't play that great. He got traded to to Dallas. He wasn't that great there. They basically supplanted him with with Luka Doncic, and then he moved to the Wizards, where he actually was really good on the Wizards for these past couple of years. Uh, and so I think he's kind of got lost in the sauce a little bit in terms of you know his actual NBA star power. But you know I think I guess the question really is was it worth it for the Celtics to, to kind of trade away two of their core pieces to get a guy in Chris Stapps who you know has a lot of upside but could also kind of you know potentially we could see a, a world in which he kind of you know this this move ends up being a failure. I think it was. It was smart to trade away Grant Williams, and I I think that every Celtics fan, I mean, again, Matt said I'm a Celtics fan. I am because I like basically every Boston team uh, because, you know, we, we got family up there and everything. I've, I've explained, it, explained it in the past. I always have to explain myself like I'm on my on death row, you know, why I'm a Patriots fan, but... Um, but yeah, I mean Celtics not so much. I, I guess now nowadays, yeah, kind of because everybody's like everybody hates the Celtics because, and I do too at this point because they get so far in the playoffs and then they just suck at some point. They 
find a way to to choke it and lose it uh, with all that star power they have. But yeah, I think that the Marcus Smart trade was was really not something that Celtics fans wanted, and I think that every, basically every Celtics fan out there will back me up on this and say that Marcus Smart was probably the most important part. The most important piece to our team in terms of leadership and a guy that's gonna like you know locker room guy a guy a guy that's that's really gonna give us that extra that extra motivation to to not choke in the playoffs from here on out. But maybe I'm wrong. The only reason I can see the Celtics trading Marcus Smart away is because maybe somehow they saw that the locker room wasn't really the problem in all this, and maybe maybe it's something else. But again, like getting Kristaps Porzingis, yeah, I mean he's He's great. He's he's been a great prospect ever since he entered entered the NBA. Like Matt said, he's he kind of he's kind of had his ups and downs, but I think that's kind of more of been that's been more of like the you know where he's been placed in in the system in Dallas, especially in Washington. He he was shining because Washington is Washington and they suck. But um, but I think that even in Boston, he's probably still going to have a a better role than he did in Dallas. But on the same token, he doesn't bring any type of you know, fire that that Marcus Smart does to, to, to the Celtics team, and I think that's kind of what the Celtics need is like is some kind of leadership because Jason Tatum isn't that great of a leader. Jason Tatum is one of the best basketball players in the world, but he's not. I don't think by any means he's he's the leader that Marcus Smart was. He's not even you know thirty percent of the leader that Marcus was. Um, but I also think that Jalen Brown on on the other, I think Jalen Brown is probably more of a leader than Jason Tatum at this point. And some Celtics fans might argue with me on that, but you know, I, I have my opinions and I stand by them. And so I would, I would say that Jalen Brown keeping Jalen Brown, which they will do by the way, Matt said that they haven't signed him yet, but I think that they will do that. I, especially since they, they signed Porzingis and they gave away Grant Williams and Marcus Smart. There's no way that they would give away Jalen Brown too. That would just be stupid. But yeah, at this point, the, I, I think that Jalen Brown is probably the guy that needs to step up as as the emotional leader with Marcus Smart gone, and it, it kind of sucks. I mean, I, I'm a huge Marcus, Mar- Marcus Smart fan. I think that every Celtics player has been, and so I think that every, I mean, every Celtics fan has been. I think that every Celtics fan was really, really devastated when they traded him away, which, again, that you know, it, it sucks to see that, but um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for this new era for the Celtics because... Right, we've got Porzingis. We've never really had. A, I mean, you got Al Horford, who like who sometimes will go off for you know he'll be like three for four from three in one game and then be zero for six the next game. He's really inconsistent from three and he's really old. Um, he's also kind of like a you know a feist. I, I would say that maybe he is kind of the second emotion emotional leader behind Marcus Smart. I made a mistake earlier saying um, that there kind of isn't anybody. I guess Al Horford kind of. Um, but on the, yeah, but he's, he's old and he's not really, he doesn't really have much left in the tank. I don't feel like, so I think getting Porzingis to kind of take over a role that the Celtics didn't really have. They didn't, they, they had basically only small ball lineups except for Rob Williams down low, but he's, I mean, he's injury prone as anybody. So, um, so you never really know when you're going to have him in the game. And yeah, I I think that Porzingis probably, you know, probably, brings more of a big man approach to the Celtics than they've seen in recent years. But again, he's, he's more of a, a, a you know, a three guy. Like he's not really a guy that's going to be down low, bruising it up like uh like Embiid and, and Jokic, but he's not really even comparable to them anyway. So um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's probably my, my take on the Celtics right now. It's not the, not the greatest take, but 
Based, in summation, I'm really sad about Marcus Smart leaving. I don't think they should have done that. Grant Williams, I couldn't really care less. I'm sorry, dude, but he's like 6'3", 270. So not really going to do much there. Um, Where did Grant Williams go to college, Hayden? Tennessee. There we go. Yep. All right. I, hey, I knew that sucks one. sucks at that. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't brought that back in a while, but I'm glad that you got that one. Where did yes. Marcus Smart go to college? Uh, Oklahoma State. Okay. Yep. All right. I know. Good. Those actually, Okay, I know my Celtics players now, that's okay? True, true. You know, and uh, Rob Williams went to Texas A&M, right? Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure he true. did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. I know my Celtics. Okay. Right. How about anyway. Jalen Brown? Who? Jalen Brown? Brown? Uh, I don't know that one. Cal. He went to Cal. Okay, yeah. It Actually, was a, he was a one and done, so it was kind of like they and they were they got like a four seed in the tournament, so they weren't like got great or anything. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, finally stumped you. Yeah, I actually i I think that one of my friends asked me that recently, the Jalen Brown one, and I didn't get it. But uh, yeah, okay. So Cal. Anyway, um, all this summed up. Yeah, I I think that Porzingis will probably bring something to the Celtics that they haven't seen in a while, but I don't think that he. I don't. I don't think he'll be as good as he was, or as like as difference-making as he was for, for Washington. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I kind of agree with everything Hayden said. I mean, the only thing I will say is that realistically this team has gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals three of the last four years all three times with different head coaches, right? So to a certain extent, it's a great organization. And Brad Stevens, who was the head coach, is now the GM, and so he's kind of making all these moves. Um, and, and, and so to a certain extent, you kind of have to just say that – I mean, you know, realistically, that this team is still it has a great core. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are two of the best players in the NBA. That they're not going to the, the side moves that you make around these, you know, these two superstars is is not going to tank the value of the team and, and kind of the competitive advantage that you had there. So I think that at the end of the day, you know, they, they still have so much upside to where is this going to help them win a championship? I, I don't I don't know. Um we, again, we've kind of seen a team like the Nuggets do this before, you know, drafting kind of your core pieces and then, you know, kind of adding pieces along the way through free agency. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't necessarily have a, a great opinion on it, but I do think that it is kind of a, you know, it's, it's a smart and well-run organization. And I think that, you know, if they're able to, to pull a player grade on Chris Tapps and, and think that he's worth the trade, then, you know, he must be at the end of the days. Um, but but it'll be cool to finally see him because that's the thing, too, is he's always played on horrible teams. So it'll be actually it'll be interesting to actually watch this guy, you know, late into May uh, in the in the playoffs to, to actually be able to kind of see him perform up to what we thought, you know, might be his potential. The other free agency news are players who star players who have not been signed yet and who have both. There's a lot of drama surrounding them right now. Uh, that's Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard and James Harden. Um, it, it's been – the Damian Lillard thing has been going on for a long time. And the weird part is that he's always – so he was drafted – where did Damian Lillard go to college, Hayden? There you go. That's one you're never going to get because he went to Weber State. All right? Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen anytime soon. But anyway, so he was drafted right, and he, and he stayed with Portland the entire time. They got to that Western Conference final – or the – yeah, one of the Western Conference Finals. I think that was when they they got swept by the Warriors. I think that was that year. Um, and, and so they had a great team then. It's just pr- pretty much ever since then they've they've kind of spiraled downward. Uh, but Dame has kind of been the one rock of you know of of Portland, and and he's he's one of the most well liked players in the NBA simply because. He's kind of always just had that mentality of like, this is my city. You know, I play basketball here. I've, I was drafted here. They took the opportunity on me. You know, we've had some good teams in the past, but you know, this is just, this is where I'm meant to be, right? Very much how uh, like how Kemba Walker was with Charlotte for the, all those years. Um, he's he's bounced around a bunch of places, you know, ever since then. But um, but right, but just kind of like you know, he had murals on the on the on the walls and stuff, or, or you know, on buildings and stuff, painting around the city. And you know, he was like, this is my city. He actually got traded, and it wasn't necessarily his. Um, 
his doing. It was just it was just Charlotte that that was just kind of uh, not. Well, being being the Charlotte Hornets, I guess, because because they're still in that in the same same win column that they were uh, when when Kemba Walker was playing there. But but Dame, seriously, I mean, he's been there for since he was drafted. He's he's had a great career there. Obviously, he's one of the. I mean, I think by this point, he's probably one of the best players ever in terms of just the stats that he's accrued and uh, and and how how well he's played. How many times he's been an All Star? I don't know exactly the numbers, but but definitely you know one of the greats in NBA history. And like I said, he he's never really been in the drama talks before especially when it comes to trades and, you know, and, and free agency and, you know, how much money am I going to make with this contract? He's always just kind of been like, yeah, I'm going to play basketball here. And, you know, whatever we decide, that's kind of, I'm going to go along with it and, and we'll make it happen. Uh, that's not the case anymore though, because it, it was reported that he, you know, they were like, okay, we're going to sign Dame. And, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, other teams might be interested in, you know, in getting him and adding him. Uh, and then so they get Scoot and, and you're thinking, you know, this, this could be, you know, a team that, you can build around, you know, got a guy like Anthony Simmons, uh, Simons. I don't, I don't know why they pronounce it. Well, I guess there's only one M and there's two M's in Simmons. So yeah, that's how, that's why they pronounce yep. it. Anthony Simons, Hayden. Uh, and uh, Joseph, Joseph Nurkic, I think is there too. And, and he's been an okay player, but it's like, this is not a team that's going to go, you know, anywhere in the playoffs, but, and and Hayden, maybe you've done more research on this. I, I just don't. It just seems like right around the draft time is when everything started heating up, and Dame just you get the the like blinking red alert. Dame has requested a trade, uh, and and I don't know really where this stemmed from. I, I guess in just in in what it the small amount that I've read about this, it just seems like he's he's kind of asked for I guess either for more money, and and the Blazers are like no, or he's at this point finally fed up with the fact that they're not doing well. Hayden, do you know anything about I it? I think. I think that they're. I think he's just trying to get away from Portland because he. It's not that he's going to be replaced by Scoot, but basically they're three big stars now. Portland or quote unquote stars are all guards now. So yeah. it's like it's 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 almost like he's not really needed, and it's almost he might even feel like he's trying to like they're trying to replace him in a way. Could and be. so he's yeah. he's like, okay, well, I've done everything for you guys over the past, you know, twelve years or whatever. So like, I deserve to be valued and I don't feel like that because yeah. you guys are bringing in all these new guards or whatever yeah yeah very possible um and so that's kind of the interesting part about this whole story is the fact that his tone has switched up you know pretty uh pretty egregiously and I, and I think that in the a combination of what me and Hayden said is probably kind of it's all kind of floating around in his head as as to why his tone did switch up so egregiously um you know pretty much in these last few months here so in terms of where he's going, again, there's not really anything concrete. The Heat are, are I think, the likely team to, to add him at this point, which, again, you know, Hayden said, right, okay, Portland's – it looks like Portland's trying to replace him with all these guards. And what do the Heat have? They just have a bunch of guards. I mean, yeah. you know, even down to Tyler Hero, who didn't even play in the entire playoff run um, this year, you know, he's – kind of labeled as a guard. Jimmy Butler's a ball dominant guard. Um, Kyle Lowry, they added, you know, this year and he provided a great value to that team as well. So, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, a, a role that Dame is going to fill and, and I will add the caveat that as great as Dame has played, he's, he's one of those ball dominant guys to the point where, you know, it, you kind of have to argue, you kind of have to question sometimes like, is this a hindrance to the team? Right? Like, there comes a point when and James Harden has gotten this, you know, pretty much his whole career uh, where he's a great player who's going to, you know, can single handedly carry your team to the playoffs or at least be in the conversation of being in the playoffs potentially, you know, to win a championship. But because of the way he plays and, and how much he needs the ball in his hands and how much, yes, he scores, you know, 60 points, you know, a couple times a year. 
you're only going to do that when you're shooting 40 shots a game, right? And to a certain extent, like that is only worth it or that, that only kind of the, 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 the mark, the diminishing returns on how much you're shooting versus how much you're able to get your other guys involved does come to a point when, especially when you're talking about, you know, these, these very well-rounded teams that are the teams that are going deep in the playoffs. Right. So that's kind of my view on it is like, I'm not sure where this whole thing is going. And I mean, whoever gets him, I, you're getting a great player, but like, does he fit? kind of in this in the grand scheme of like what the, i guess the heat is kind of the, the the argument to make here does he fit in that role or or is there another team i guess that that would kind of do well with him the other thing about the heat i will say is and i write i write up on this i think on espn or somewhere no it wasn't espn it was it was some weird news outlet not weird but it was it was, it was some like random news outlet that seemed pretty sensical and when I when I read it and it basically said that the yeah the only place that Dame wants to go is the heat and he's basically made I mean he's made that clear I don't know if he said it outright or if he's made it clear in another way but it's both sides both Dame and the Blazers understand that he wants to go to the heat and that's really the only place he wants to go which is understandable because the heat have been so good over the past couple years Um, but the other thing is that the only players that the that the heat that are even that had the sorry Wow. The only players that the Heat have that are even comparable to Dame's skill level or, you know, Dame's value, I guess, to the team are Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And Matt mentioned Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry and and Tyler Hero. The next guy up, I think, what the sports outlet said, the next guy up would be Tyler Hero. But you don't even really want, like, I mean, okay, I'm not going to say who wants Tyler Hero, but that's kind of where I'm going with this. Is like they would, in order to trade Tyler Hero to the Blazers, the Heat would have to bring in a bunch of other teams, kind of like the, what the Wizards did with the Celtics and the, and the Suns and whatever. You'd have to bring in a bunch of other teams and make it almost like a three- or four-way trade because I'm pretty sure the the Heat don't have many draft picks to trade. Either that or they don't want to trade any, any of their draft picks. So they need to get another team that has a bunch of draft picks to trade with Ty- Tyler Hero over to... Uh, Portland in order for Dame to come to Miami, which again that would that would involve so many different legs and and things that um you know that would have to fall into place in order for Dame to go to the Heat. But that's that's basically where we're at. It's it's almost like a um what do you call that? Not a not a standstill, but what's the crossroads? No, not a crossroads. Impasse. No, it, it it's a war term. I. Standstill. No, I, I said it's not a standstill. Hey, I've listed it's like a, three of the most perfect synonyms. And oh my gosh, dude. Okay, it's it's the it's the word for when you're at a war and you're at like one point and you can't you can't move either way. I think impasse is the right no. terminology there. Okay, I I don't know. This is gonna be this, it's gonna bug me. But I, yeah, basically you're at a standstill where like both sides don't really know what to do. Both Portland doesn't know what to do because they don't want to. They don't want to devalue Dame and get and essentially get, you know, cheated in the trade. But then the Heat don't want to give up Bam or Jimmy Butler because that's those two guys are, you know, together are, are essentially like 75 percent of their team. So you're kind of at a standstill where you don't really like both sides don't know what to, what to do. And Dame is kind of just sitting there like, I want to go to Miami, but you guys have to figure out a way to get it done and they can't figure it out. So, yeah, the next guy. And and this one's the this one's the doozy is James Harden, who's obviously pretty much every time a contract comes up is in the news for either 
wanting to leave the place that he's currently playing basketball or a bunch of other teams wanting to sign him to come to play basketball for them. At this point, however, we've gotten to the, we've, we've kind of, we, we've gotten past the point of James Harden being a, a potential like championship level player that, you know, can carry your team to a championship. And we've gotten to the point where pretty much he just tells the team that he's on where he wants to go. The interesting aspect to, to this iteration of the James Harden experiment is that when he signed with Philly, they gave him player option. Okay. And now if you're, you're signing a contract in the NBA, you get your, you get your, you know, whatever, two years, $60 million, whatever it is. Uh, and you get a player option. Now, usually that player option is, it's essentially an add on to the contract that says you, if you elect to, you know, pick up your player option, then you're going to play a, a separate, Usually it's, it's, it's like basically just adding a one-year contract onto the existing contract that was already there. And it's, you know, it, it, there's potentially more bonuses involved, so you're making more money, whatever. So what James Harden did is earlier in earlier this year, like in you know January, February, before the playoffs even happened, he announced that he was going to pick up his player option, meaning that he was essentially intending to return to the Sixers because he was going to, you know, utilize this this option in his contract to be able to, you know, to kind of play out that extra year and, and get paid, you know, whatever it was, uh, you know, stipulated in the contract for that year in, in, the, in the player option. And then he comes out and he basically is just saying, oh, I've always wanted to play on the Clippers and really the only team that I'm going to be playing on is the Clippers, right? And that was a couple weeks ago. I just got a notification from Bleachport yesterday. He's now taken all of the 76ers everything out of his bios and social media. He's not, you know, he's not talking to the players on the team. And, right, this is all just blowing up in, 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 in exactly what we thought was going to happen when Philly said that they were doing the process, right? Like, and again, the, the guy that just is, is takes the fall and, and is just left with nothing in this situation, like every single year, is Joel Embiid, who's just playing his butt off all he can do. He's carrying his team no matter what. And it's just all this drama going on around, around him. Uh, you know, right, obviously, the whole Ben Simmons situation and now you know now Harden who ironically was traded for Ben Simmons so it's like you just got rid of you know the irritating piece of Ben Simmons just to get you know arguably a worse uh you know person in that regard in, in James Harden so this whole thing is kind of coming up and it's you know where's it gonna go who's he gonna sign this is really the unknown I mean obviously at least we had something with Dame to wear and Hay like Hayden said you kind of he you know the, the reports that I've seen you know say that the Heat want to trade for Dame you know, things that Hayden have read, you know, it sounds like Dame has said that he wants to play for the Heat. Okay, cool. Uh, in terms of this, obviously, we heard James Harden say that he wants to play for the Clippers, but we've heard nothing from the Clippers side, so we don't really know kind of what they're thinking on this. And honestly, the Clippers are one of those teams that, like, the roster is so good, and they just can't stay healthy. Obviously, if you have a healthy Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George, you're automatically going to be one of the best teams in the West. So if they can stay healthy for all of next year, they're already going to be a playoff contending team. You add James Harden to that mix, and even if he's just as a shooter, right? Um, but but I think that, you know, because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard aren't necessarily ball-dominant point guards, I do think that James Harden will work in that system. The problem is... He, he picked up his he picked up he picked up his player option with Philly, right? So it's like you already said that you were going to play for Philly. You picked up your option, then they're like, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep." By the way, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my player option for this like one year, sixty million dollar contract, like as if he needs it, you know, for for all the money he's already made. Oh, but I also want to go to another team and get traded, but I want to keep that contract because that's going to be better for me, right? And it's just so funny how this whole thing is happening. Similar to the Dame stuff too, where it's like you get the red blinking lights, Dame has requested a trade, right? Like you'd never hear about this in really in any other sport. Um, and it's so funny too, because our last podcast, obviously, and, and kind of what's going on in the NFL right now is the whole running back scenario where 
they ne- they don't have the, they don't even have the leverage to come out and say that they want to be traded to another team. They're just like, hey, I, I'm fine staying on my same team. I just want a couple million couple couple million dollars more, right? Whereas basketball is just such a different sport because of the because of the roster size and and you know and and, and quality that kind of is subsequent of that um, to where the players are the stars and the players can dictate what they want to do because the players are the individual player is a lot more important in the NBA than they are in the NFL, obviously besides, you know, your best quarterbacks in the league. Okay, fine. Um, so that's the situation. I, I don't, you know, there, obviously there, there's nothing that's been decided yet. It's just, I, I almost just wanted to kind of bring this up just to kind of compare, especially with what we've seen recently with the running backs in the NFL and how, how different the situations are, you know, kind of depending on the sport and how, right. You know, James Harden can say all he wants, but like he hasn't been that great. Like he's had good games. Okay. Like in this, this year's playoffs, like, you know, we had the one game against the Nets. Um, that was, that was, uh, no, I forget. I, see, I'm even like forgetting who they played. He had a few good games in the playoffs where he's like putting up 30 points and it's like, okay, great. And then you go up against the Celtics, you're up three, two game six in Philly and you lose the series. Like you lose two games in a row. And it's like, that's the Celtics who, you know, are good, but also lost the Eastern Conference Finals to the Heat, who were the eighth seed, right? So it's like neither team in that scenario seemed like it could be. And and that's the thing too is like you always got to think about the sliding doors moments of these of these situations where like, okay, let's say the Sixers do win Game Six in Philly and they beat the Celtics, they go up against the Heat team who you know was able to beat the Celtics pretty handily, but who knows what could happen, right? If Philly and and obviously right, you know, a, a team. I mean, obviously the Heat basically the reason they you know played so well and got so far was just because they were you know. Un- shooting insanely well from three and you can't really defend that I guess but but I think Philly matched up better with with uh, with Miami so like this is a very interesting situation to where if you flip it on its head and you say okay look at what if the what if the what if the 76ers had won that game in Philly game six against against the Celtics gone to the Eastern Conference Finals beat Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals get to the NBA Finals and then lose to the you know ultimate chancellor defender of the world you know Nikola Jokic who was bound to win this championship anyway you're saying okay the process has got us here right we we, we can do this we, we, we reached the end point we just didn't you know kind of come away with the whim we see what the end goal is here and we can run this back easily you know you'd be hearing nothing from James Harden right now so it's just is interesting too to kind of see you know based on the events that happened if they've gone a little bit differently we could be this, this could be a non-story right now we could be talking about something totally different so um i don't necessarily know what what the question is here i guess hayden do you, do you think that he's going to be traded do you i mean i don't i don't I, again the other thing too is like this is very legal you know legally binding things with these contracts and stuff so i don't even know if it's legal for him to be able to play pick up this player option and and still keep that if he goes to another team again i'm if you're the clippers like and you already had paul george and Kawhi leonard okay james harden might work with your team but then you have to pick up this option on on top of that i don't know we i probably should have done more more research but because it's never happened before there's probably not even a precedent for for what there is so i don't know yeah if, if he's already signed the player option i feel like he's gonna stay and even even if he's deleted all of his sixers stuff off his off his social media and he's not in contact with the players like we've seen that happen before plenty of times in the past and then when it comes time for the season it's just like oh everything's fine again let me just go to practice and play in most games and probably not do as well just because I'm a little bit salty that I didn't that I didn't get traded like that's the thing with especially with players like James Harden who is very much a diva at this point and we hate to see it um but it's yeah and like Matt said it's like he almost put himself in the situation because I Matt made a, a very very good point just now with you know talking about how if, if they did win game six and they did go up up against the heat in the Eastern Conference Finals which would have been a better matchup against the Heat 
you know, than, than the Celtics would have been uh, in theory. If they did get to the finals, then, yeah, we wouldn't be hearing about this at all because James Harden wouldn't want to be traded because he would be on a team that made it to the finals and that he's happy on. So that, that was a very, very good point by Matt there. And it's almost like he put himself in the situation because, again, he he had like – I'm pretty sure in one of, those, one of those last two games he had like nine points or something like that. It, it was either that or he had uh, – he had close to like seven or eight turnovers in one of those games. It's like, dude, you can't be doing that in a game that it, if you win one of those two games, then you win the series and you move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, um, yeah, he, he definitely put the, himself in the situation. And I don't know where he goes from here either, but I would hazard to guess that he probably just stays with the Sixers. And even though he's he, he's he's like requested a trade without officially requesting a trade, it's like you're at that point, if you sign the player option, you've, you've got to – You've kind of got to stay there. I I feel like he's legal legally binded there. So, um, yeah. So that's that's gonna wrap up our NBA segment there. If if we have nothing else to talk about, which I don't think we do, and we can take it into Formula One. So McLaren seems to be back after having uh, four top five finishes over the last two races. If you guys are confused about that, there's two drivers per team in Formula One, and so. Uh, so both drivers have finished in the top five in the last two races in the, in the British Grand Prix. And then today or this morning in the Hungarian Grand Prix, both McLaren drivers finished top five again. They had a lot of early season struggles. The McLaren drivers did um, early early season struggles, but apparently they've, they've made some changes to their car. Uh, and they did that leading up to the British Grand Prix a couple weeks ago. And let's just say that it's it's looking like it worked big time. So uh, let's go over what they changed as well as how this may affect the rest of the field um, over this back half of the season. Where I think they were at the, I think this was this was either the halfway point or maybe before this race was the halfway point it's, of the season. It's technically the it's the twelfth race out of twenty three. Yeah. Now there's a little bit of a of a of a caveat because it's like they do these tw- they well they do the, so this is the 12th race they're actually they're going to go to spa next which is in belgium um that's going to be next week and then after that race they have their whole basically every august they take the full month of august off um they call it like summer break whatever cars make or they uh, the teams make adjustments on the cars whatever so that's that's after next race so essentially they'll they'll have done 14 races and then they get like their their break and then they do the, the the last nine races after. So it is technically more than halfway through the race calendar. But like in terms of the times that a lot of the teams start to make upgrades and kind of the calendar shifts, that hasn't really come yet. Um, but still, I mean, that's just more nitty gritty. But Hayden, can you keep going? Yeah, exactly. So the changes, I'm just going to go over the, the changes in a very simple way that, that McLaren made to their car. Essentially, what they've been doing is they've been looking at their counterparts like Red Bull, who has been by far the best team this season and and last season and honestly over the past few years they've just been the the leading team in terms of the type of car that they that they make and that and that they run out there on the on, on the track and so McLaren has I don't know how this works either like this this is kind of another thing that I was going to mention um kind of you know later on in this topic as we dive deeper into what McLaren has been doing but essentially what I've read is like they've been looking at other cars or they've been stealing ideas from other cars and aerodynamics designs on the car. They've been stealing that from teams like Red Bull. And I think certain, um, certain aerodynamics designs that Aston Martin has, has, has done in the past and everything like that. They basically just taken a lot of other ideas and applied it to their car. And they've done a bunch of common or like they've kind of done like some trial and error with, 
what they think is going to be good. And so they've kind of hit the sweet spot is to, to, is, is what I understand from all this jargon that I've seen online. They kind of hit the sweet spot with what combination works best on their car. Um, and so I think that the 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 biggest thing that, that that's changed that's made McLaren so good over the past few weeks is that they, they've basically been able to get more speed around the turns. And that's kind of what the aerodynamics changes that they've made has done um, to their car. The reason I'm not saying all the all the actual changes that they've made to the car um, is because this is I, I looked at a, a website full of 11 changes that they've made, like specific, very specific changes that they've made. This is the fourth. This is an example of one of the changes that this website includes. The changes made to the forward position. Sorry, the changes made to the forward portion of the side pod and the inlet have necessitated that the mirror housing and their associated paraphernalia be redesigned with the upper slat retired and a revised outer stay employed to better suit the aerodynamic profile required downstream. So if I were to read 11 of those, uh, it would be really boring and you guys would probably want to rip your ears out. So I will, I will save you. I'll spare you all the time of reading those out. And I'll just say that it's a lot of aerodynamics changes that they've made. And again, it's been, it's been a combination of things that other teams have been using already, like Aston Martin and like Red Bull, two teams that have had, pretty good success in this early part of the season and they've kind of just made a combination of those work on their on their own car and both drivers that they have I mean Lando Norris and and Oscar Piastri they've both been like pretty decent in the past but again their car hasn't really been good enough to hoist them up into that 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 top tier level driving and so at this point we've almost the way I'm going to kind of start off this conversation I'll hand it over to Matt um, after I make this point but it's almost like to me we've kind of seen a flip of McLaren and Ferrari. I think that Ferrari, I mean, Ferrari's not as bad as McLaren was at the beginning of the season, but Ferrari is not, is, is nowhere near where they were last season. You know, they were always up at the top competing with Verstappen and Perez, the, the two Red Bull drivers for, you know, kind of those like those podium positions, first, second, and third. They were almost always up there competing with them, but Ferrari, for the beginning part of the season too, they've kind of been falling off. But I think as the season has gone off, they've just been, worse and worse especially and that that comes in qualifying in my opinion that's kind of what, where they've been having most of their struggles is they don't start well you know they'll start in I think they I think this race they started six and 11th um I think Leclerc started sixth and then uh signs started in 11th and so it was like you can't really do much from that positioning and then they finish I, I don't know where they finish but they finished both finished below the fifth so I think that it's it's almost been like a switch between McLaren and and Ferrari. McLaren's now where Ferrari was last season, or they're they're looking like they're gonna stay that way for the rest of the season. Hopefully, because it it'll, it'll be cool to see McLaren do well again for the first time since you know kind of back in the Hamilton Botas days, but back in like 2014 2015. But um, but yeah, it's it's cool to see this, and I think that right, we're we're starting to see more of a shift in in the the cars like the car makes in Formula One, which is cool because. I'm kind of tired of seeing just the normal Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. Mercedes has kind of stayed the same, um, but I think that McLaren and, and and Ferrari have kind of been moving around and almost switched uh, elite tiers, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. So I'll hand it over to Matt here to talk about what he sees in McLaren, or if he wants to talk about Verstappen's do- dominance, that's also kind of part of this topic. But um, we're kind of just taking, again, we're going off the dome here. We're kind of just taking this wherever we want to take it. I explained the... McLaren changes, and I want to hear Matt's opinion on on how McLaren has been recently. It's it's been a great transformation, and and one that 
honestly, <laughs> McLaren's been this type of team over the past few years, like almost consistently. It's like they're either they're either kind of at the top and and just so that in case you're not you know kind of in the in the lingo of Formula One, um, there's obviously the top teams. It's it's Red Bull, it's uh, Mercedes, and Ferrari, and then essentially past the top three. The other teams are essentially always competing for what they call the best of the rest, right? Which is the rest of the team. They, they, we all we all know that like the top six uh, drivers, or at least you know the top six positions, are going to be filled with each of the two drivers from those top three teams. The best of the rest then is essentially you know whatever team can come in fourth um, is a great honor because it's like you're never going to you're never going to catch the top three, uh, but in order to kind of you know still facilitate your team and, and, and make sure that you know the money is is still flowing in and, and investors and whatever it may t- uh, whatever it may be. That if you do come in fourth or fifth, uh, that is, that's a very good gauge of success for your ability to continue to compete in Formula One. Now, McLaren has has had obviously a very interesting past, especially in the last like ten years. Um, they used to be the most dominant car on the grid for you know the kind of the late eighties, nineties. Uh, then Ferrari took over. Then it was Red Bull. Then it was Mercedes, and then it was kind of the you know, Red Bull iteration that we have now. McLaren actually did have a couple years in there. I probably 2007, 2008, where Lewis Hamilton actually won his first championship with, with McLaren. So if you haven't been watching Formula One since like, for like the last 16 years, you wouldn't know, or at least, you know, would have had to read it or something, but he was with McLaren when he started, he won his first championship there. Jensen Button also won in that kind of time period as too. Uh, and he was a, he was a really great driver for McLaren too. Since then, though, they kind of fell off, and they, well, they 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 fell off and then kind of came back again. Like I said, it's basically been a riddled past. But they they kind of transferred the ownership. They had a very silver. It was like a, a very simple look to the car. It was basically silver and red. Uh, then they kind of transferred the whole thing over. Now it's orange and black, and the you know and the white that you see on the car now. And and that was kind of the, their transformation into what into the drivers they have now as well. Now. Lando Norris has been with them ever since the start of this kind of new era, and Zach Brown, who's the who's the president and CEO of of, uh, of McLaren, who's like the only. If you did watch Drive to Survive, you'll know he's just like the classic, like the only, like the only like true American person who's like in this whole world, but is like the classic American guy who's just like anytime someone put it finishes like in tenth place, he's like going around and hugging everybody, like yeah, dude, we get it, we got this. Um, and and so it's very funny how he is just kind of your your, your classic American on the on the F one grid there, but. Again, like I said, it's been a very, a very riddled past. So Landon Norris has been with them ever since they, you know, kind of he he came into Formula One. The drivers that he's been with have have kind of varied over the years. They had Carlos Sainz before Sainz went to Ferrari. They did have Fernando Alonso for a season in there randomly, uh, or Daniel Ricciardo after his stint with Red Bull, and then uh, Renault. Daniel Ricciardo went to McLaren and, and and was there for for I think a year or two. And now obviously we kind of have the you know the the current iteration with with Oscar Piastri, who's a rookie driver as well. So the point of this is though, and to kind of explain the history is that. When Lando Norris started, and they kind of went over this 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 new transformation. It was almost like they were really good. They were the best of the rest. So it was almost, and they were almost in the category of like the Ferraris and, and Mercedes of the world, where they were almost assumed to come in fourth in the driver or in the constructors championship. And, and then it was kind of like, okay, well, who's going to be you know kind of the the team after that? And then essentially they just kind of fell off the fell off the face of the earth, right? Um, the car just wasn't running right. That you know the, the drivers were the same. They just the car wasn't performing at all. They had a couple random like really good 
good weeks. Um, I remember when Daniel Ricciardo was driving for them, they had a one-two finish in Monza, like randomly. Daniel Ricciardo won that race, uh, and it was so funny because he had seven wins when he was with Red Bull, but his Red Bull tenure ended, I think, in like 2018 or something like that. So he didn't win a race, or he didn't. He won his last race, I think, in like 2016. Didn't win a race for like five or six years, um, and his next race win was with like the. The, like the third team after he'd, he'd left Red Bull. Uh, so, and it was just randomly McLaren. So they had like, like that was a really great time, you know, an upswing for them. And then the past two years, they've been just non-existent again. Right. And so it's almost like weird how this kind of, you know, the, the, the ebbs and flows of, of your team in, in F1. And again, a team that has had, you know, arguably the, the greatest and, and longest history of any singular team in F1. And, and interestingly enough, um, the record that was broken in today's race that Max Verstappen won, Red Bull has now won 12 races in a row. And that's actually the first that's, that breaks the record for the most races that have ever been won in a row by a single team. That broke the McLaren record from 1988, like, you know, way back in the day. But still, like, kind of shows you how, how long this team has been in Formula 1 and how, how much of a history past it has. Uh, and, and right, so these past couple of years, it's almost like, dude, is this team like not going to even be in competing in Formula One anymore? Because, you know, they, they should at least with all the, you know, the backers and support and money that they have been able to, to drive into that team and, and, and the star power that they have and Landon Norris and this, you know, this young, young British kid who's a really, a really sharp driver. So it's good to see all that to say. It's very good to see that these that the updates that and, and Hayden did an amazing job of, of describing the detail at which they were able to improve the car. It's amazing to see that happen almost in the span of a week. And just kind of in terms of the way that the schedule worked, they were at I believe so you had kind of the the beginning America swing. You had like you had Cutter in there, you had Australia, you had Miami, um, and you're kind of going all around. I had Canada in there, and then essentially you kind of have this run of European countries, right? So you have you have Austria, you have Silverstone in in. in England, you have you know the Hungarian Grand Prix, Grand Prix, like we said. Essentially, in the transfer over to the European circuits, uh, that's when this change was made, and, and kind of what Hayden was describing. And they came out saying like we're going to be pretty good, and all the announcers and everybody who's following Formula One is like, no, like what evidence do we have to support the fact that like you're actually going to follow through on your word? Because there's been nothing like this for the past two, ever since Daniel Ricciardo won that race in in, in Monza 2020, right? But it actually worked out, and they argue, you can argue that they look like they're the second best car in the grid, which is is crazy because like not only have they have they kind of you know kind of beaten that best of the rest uh, you know title that's been associated with the team that's able to kind of best compete with or or I guess kind of finish behind the top three of Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari, but not only have done them, have they done that, but they've also they they basically infiltrated that top three right and and then kind of almost supplanted Mercedes as the second best car on the grid. So um, it's a really cool transformation. It's it's something that's interesting to watch. It's it's a team that like I said have had such a, a historied past and and has been one of the staples of Formula One prior to the last, you know, five-ish years, but have really faced some struggles and are now kind of back at the top here. And, you know, like Hayden was saying, they have two great young drivers who, in, in Lando Norris, who has been there ever, I mean, he's actually, he's been on the grid for, I think, five or six years now. So he's he's kind of been there ever since this big transformation and, and kind of ridden the wave of ebbs and flows, uh, you know, positive and negative success and, and whatever that may bring with it. Um, but then in, in their kind of conquest through, you know, having Carlos Sainz, who was kind of a younger driver, and then Fernando Alonso and Daniel Ricciardo, who are both veteran drivers, now bringing in a rookie in Oscar Piastri, who I think he won the F2 circuit, I think, twice. Um, so he's a really good young driver. We saw him kind of start out hot today, and then, you know, obviously he got passed by by, by Hamilton and Perez, which 
any young driver would. Um, but I, I think that they they have a, a great young core and, and and two great young drivers in this team who are, who are look like they're you know kind of willing to 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 ride the wave and build this this team up um, you know kind of alongside the you know the car designers and, and everything like that. So um, I, again, Hayden did a great job of kind of breaking down the the, the details of how the car was improved. Um, and then, you know, that, that's kind of based on everything that he said and the, the impact that it's having. I think it's a great story that's going on in F1. Obviously, you have Verstappen, who who is going to win the Drivers' Championship and Red Bull the Constructors, uh, y- you know, respectively. But this is kind of what we're in. This, this is what we're watching F1 for now, right, is to kind of see what teams are able to make the changes requisite to be able to compete with kind of the other teams you know kind of basically outside of red bull because they've already kind of ran away with it at this point yeah that's exactly right and uh we were actually not going to touch on max verstappen and red bull today because well i we could also talk about perez too and his qualifying struggles that's uh, that's probably something that we need to talk about coming up here after we get our football stuff out of the ways is uh qualifying and how important it is in formula one because I feel like a lot of people don't really watch it. Well, if you're a Formula 1 fan, you probably do watch it, but it's not really a, like your priority. It's not as much of a priority as the races. Obviously, you know, it shouldn't be, but it is it is, it actually becomes very very important in the race results and it, you've you've seen it a lot now with uh how Verstappen has finished in, in relation to how Perez has finished, and then also with the Ferraris, like I said, um in my kind of rant at the beginning of this segment. Um, on how the, Ferrari, the Ferraris have just not really been able to get it done in qualifying, and it's it's showing in the races. But uh, but yeah, we'll save that to a later date because we're getting a little low on time here. So we're actually going to do a little golf segment here. Matt's gonna Matt's gonna take it away. I actually I didn't watch any of the British Open or the the Open Championship this weekend, which is my that's totally on me, and I should have. I all I heard about it was my dad telling me this morning that today was uh, was very much a, a rainy day in Britain. So which isn't surprising at all. But um, I also heard that. Um, the dude that won it, I forget his name at this point, but the dude that won it was, I think it was like a hundred to one odds. So, uh, so that's, yeah, it's pretty interesting there, but yeah, I'll, I'll let Matt talk. Let's move into golf. I mean, you didn't miss much, Hayden. I'll tell you that, uh, because Brian Harmon ran away with it. Uh, and, and this is a guy who I think he only has one other win on tour, maybe two, um, he was he was really good. First of all, he's a lefty. Not only is he lefty, he's like five seven. Like this guy is like one of the shortest players on tour. I think probably the shortest player on tour. Um, and he's not. I mean, he's not driving the ball three hundred yards or anything. But but has a game that suits the open well and links golf in general. Um, and, and I think that you know it, it was it was. It was unexpected that he won. Obviously, Hayden said you know hundred to one odds. It's it's usually not. A player, the player that wins is usually not, you know, that long of odds. It's usually kind of one of the one of the favorites, especially when it comes to the majors. But he has been playing really well. I think he finished really well at the Travelers. I think he came in second at the Travelers. Um, and then, kind of as the summer has gone on, you know, he's he's played in these smaller events, which obviously the summer events are horrible. You know, I mean, the John Deere and the, and the Barracuda and all these all these stupid events where you know nobody even plays in them. Uh, the Scottish Open always occurs the week before the Open Championship. The Scottish Open, uh, the Scottish Open is is it's it's basically it's kind of like the it's kind of like the appetizer, like the precursor to to the Open. It's all the players who are playing in the Open go to play the Scottish Open. The Renaissance Club is is the name of the golf course. And that kind of prepares you for the Lynx golf that you're, that you're going to be playing for, you know, when it comes to the Open Championship of the Major. And Brian Harmon, I think, finished in the top five or maybe third or something like that uh, at the Scottish Open. So it was almost like 
you, you could kind of see this coming. Like he was in a, in a lot of the golf content that I was listening to in terms of, the, you know, the betting stuff. A lot of people were, you know, were saying, you know, bet on Brian Harmon, you know, top 20 or whatever, the daily fantasy stuff, you know, put him in your lineup. And, and he was, you know, he was kind of underpriced um, in terms of, you know, where people were kind of pricing him out in their, in their, in their five golfer lineup. So it, it, it was, the writing on the wall was kind of there. Um, obviously, it seemed like though people were like, yeah, he's going to do well, but he might not win. And not only did he win, but you know, as I said, he, he, he crushed it. Right. Um, I think he shot a five, a five under first round. I think he, had a, yeah, I think he shot a 66, maybe it was 67, 65. I think par was 71. So I think he shot four under the first day. He was, he was either tied for the lead or like one off the lead. Uh, and then on Friday, the second day, um, he shot a, he shot a five under 66 and, Nobody else even came close to that, and so he left Friday. Went into Saturday uh, with a five-stroke lead and carried that all the way through. He won by five um, today. So it was, like I said, it, it wasn't. It was honestly probably the most boring major of the entire year. Unfortunately, it was the last one. It was though the British Open, and like Hayden said, it was you know the weather was really bad, so it wasn't necessarily one of those like you had to be there moments. Um, and then two, you know, it, because they're playing in England, it, it finishes so much earlier here on the East coast. And if you're on the West coast, this thing was over by like 9am. So it's, it's like almost not even worth, you know, getting up for, at least you, you, you probably stay up late, you know, and, and kind of already get to get a good grip on what's happening there. Obviously the, the kind of the bigger names here, um, didn't really kind of come through. John Rahm had a great third round. I think he shot eight under, uh, in the third round, he, he went in time for second. I think he finished in third. Um, but the rest of the leaderboard, you know, Rory was obviously in there, the top five, uh, kind of do a segment on him a little, or I guess I'll maybe I'll and talk about him a little bit, but, um, the rest of the top five was, was nothing to be desired. It was, you know, Emiliano Griot, Tom Kim, uh, you know, people who, who weren't necessarily, I guess the names that you don't necessarily see at the top of the leaderboard, especially when it comes to the majors, Rory, I guess I'll kind of tackle it now. Um, it's just, it's, and he won the Scottish Open last week, right? So this is, this is like, it was all kind of coming to a fruition. Royal Liverpool was the golf course they were playing at this week. That was the site of Rory McIlroy's last major win. It was also the British Open that year. So like, the last time that they played the Open Championship at this course, Rory McIlroy won it. He, you know, he was the major winner. He wins the Scottish Open in the preamble to this, you know, this year's version of the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool, where he won last time. But none of it came true because it never does with this guy, right? Like that's what I keep saying on here, and I'm like, we need to stop treating this like every, he's going to win every major because once you put that much pressure on a guy, he's not going to be able to perform up to those expectations. And I think it was almost like, it was almost too perfect that he won last week because it was like kind of coming into this major season. You're thinking, all right, like we've hyped him up so much at all these other majors and he hasn't performed well at all. Okay. Well, let's give him a break. Right. And then he goes out and wins the tournament and it's like, okay, well that's, he won because nobody was expecting him to do anything. He had no pressure on him. He was just going out there and playing links golf. Like he's, you know, he's, he's used to be doing, and, and then, right, and obviously you go into that being like, oh, my God, well, he, you know, not only did he win last week, but now he's, he's playing at the same course that he won this, you know, the same major at 10 years ago or almost 10 years ago. And, and yeah, it was just all destined to fail. He did play well, though, right? He came in the top five. He finished in the top five. But, like, he did that to the Masters. He did that to the Masters. Well, he did that to the Masters this year. He did that to the Masters last year. Um, Oak Hill in the, in the, for the PGA Championship, you think he finished in the top ten. So he's been playing well for all these majors. It's just like he can't – no, no, that um, – 
it was the U.S. Open at, at, at LA Country Club that he, he finished. He was like, it was, you know, kind of, you know, between him and Wyndham Clark. Um, and he just couldn't, he couldn't make any putts. He was leading. He couldn't make any putts, right? And and almost similar this week. So it, it's just kind of a sad state of affairs for Rory McIlroy. Um, he keeps his head up, I will say. I mean, for as much as like, and, and for as much as golf and, and, you know, tennis is similar, it's a one, it's a one man sport. So you're, you're on your own, right? If you're, if your mental game is all messed up, you're, you're not going to be playing well. So it's, it's, it's definitely tough to kind of go into every single week being like, everybody expects me to win. And golf is just the most random sport to where it's usually not going to go that way. Right. I mean, the hundred to one odds the Wyndham Clark too, he was hundred to one to win the U S open. Brian Harmon's hundred to one to win the, the open championship. It's great that these guys are being able to win. And we're kind of seeing some different winners, but when we're going to put all this pressure on Brooks Kepler and Rory McIlroy to win every single major. It's just not going to happen. So I think it's almost like we, you know, just kind of enjoy the golf that there is and, and, and kind of, you know, whatever kind of happens off of that. I don't, I do think this is probably the last we'll talk about golf this season. After now, you're going to have the FedEx Cup playoffs, which is the absolute worst form of playoffs in the entire world. We actually, you know what? After the Open Championship, or after the, the um, I forget what they call it now. Um, I'm trying to think of it, trying to say the Open Championship. It's not the Open Championship. That's what was just played. Um, it's the it's the, the FedEx Cup Championship, I guess, is like the, um, there's a name for it, but whatever. After, when that happens, and, and the player who wins, wins the $15 million, that's like the biggest grand prize, whatever. Cantley won it two years ago. Rory's won it, I think, two of the last. That's the other thing too. Is Rory's won the play- FedEx Cup playoffs. He's won fifty million dollars. This whole big prize, two of the last or three of the last four years, I think, um, and and has like not even come close to sniffing a. Well, he has come close to sniffing a major, but you know, not been able to put it together. Uh, so once that comes around, we'll talk about how bad of a playoff system that is. We'll put that on, put that in one of the rundown sections on one of our NFL preview uh, episodes that's coming up. All right. Well, with that being said, it's a great segue into. I'm not even going to try to talk about golf because I haven't been following it this much this season. So, yeah, with that being said, segue right into our rundown segment for today. So, Aaron Rodgers said in a recent interview that, quote, playing just one more year for the Jets would be a disservice, unquote, because they, quote, gave up a lot for him, unquote. Uh, this, so, to give a little bit of backstory, obviously, uh, Aaron Rodgers was traded to the Jets and. The, the way that his contract is structured is he's getting basically all of his money the second year that he plays for them. So this year, I think he's only getting like a million or two million dollars to play this year. But then after his second year there, because his contract is two is worth two years, essentially, after his second year with the Jets, uh, he's going to get a hundred million dollars. So he's people are saying we talked about this before. Um, and like a little, this was before we even started our rundown segment, but we talked about this when it first happened. What you're seeing here is he's going to be the highest paid NFL player in a, in a year because of this. And it's because of the way that his, his contract is structured, but he's still making a little bit less. I, I think like that's fully with incentives and everything like that. That's not full, fully guaranteed. Um, I don't know what his, what his contract is, but yeah, anyway, his contract is structured weird, but it is worth two years. And he said this, that playing one year for the Jets would, would be a disservice because they gave up a lot for him. That's very, it's very nice of Aaron Rodgers to say Aaron Rodgers. Usually, I feel like he wouldn't really say that. He's not the type of guy that would say that, but I think that he's, he's very thankful for the Jets and that they're doing this for him because he, you know, he, he was definitely fed up with green Bay. But the other thing that he did add on to that, and I didn't even really write this down, but I did read it. He said, he said something along the lines of, but you know, if anything crazy happens, then you know there there might be an exception or something like that. And what he means by that is essentially, if if they win the Super Bowl this year, then he'll probably retire. That's that's what I gained from it. 
I'm going to go ahead and ask Matt what he thinks here, um, what that what he thinks that means, if it if he thinks it means something different, but um, or if he just wants to give his input on what Aaron Rodgers is saying here and, and how how he's being nice in the media for once. I mean, if I know anything about Aaron Rodgers, that he wants his money, right? So at the end of the day, he's he's gonna he's gonna play both years, right? Because especially because of how they struck the contract, and he had to agree to that, right? Too. That's the other thing too. Is like. He signed his name on the dotted line, basically saying, you know, I consent to this being the deal, right? Only making a couple, couple million this year, and then having the entire paycheck kind of come next year. Um, that's 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 the truth, and that's what it is. I'm sure that obviously, right, kind of what Aiden added at the end there. If they do win the Super Bowl, right, he's made enough money in his career, but for some reason, and this was that was the main issue with the Packers. He was like, I want to make the most money as a, as a quarterback. And they're like, okay, here's all your money, but you're not going to have a good team around you. There's going to be no receivers, and that's and he took that and was a sad boy about it. So, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but right, I do think, yeah, if, if, if the ceiling is the Super Bowl, which I personally don't think it is, and, and again, we'll get into this a lot deeper in the NFL previews, or it could be, but I don't think it will be. Uh, and, if, and if they do – I mean, they're they're one of the youngest teams in the NFL. I think the youngest team in the NFL. Yeah, um, so and so if they if they have a great season this year, like why not run it back? I mean, he did it two years in a row with the Packers. Went thirteen and three. Won the you know won two straight MVPs when everybody thought he was kind of washed up, and he went out and showed everybody right. He does have that mentality of like if if I'm you know if I'm mad at something or if people are doubting me or whatever, like I'm gonna throw it back on you and win an MVP or a Super Bowl or whatever. So. Um, I don't doubt his ability to play well at the NFL level. I'm just saying, like, for the way that the team is structured, it's it's probably not going to go – it's not going to be, you know, kind of what everybody says it can be immediately. Like, that's what I'm saying is, like, it'll be interesting to see what happens after these two years as to whether or not they're going to re-sign him. Because at that point, he'll be – I think he'll be 40 at that point, too. So, um, obviously, nowadays, like, quarterbacks play way later anyway. So, it's not – too big of an issue but still it's 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 a very unknown thing and i think that he he definitely fully intends to play both years if he wants all that money um but i think hayden is astute in pointing out that that kind of loan exception he kind of read between the lines they were saying like yeah if they win the super bowl he he very well has the option to be like screw it i'm now i've won two super bowls i've won you know one with two different drive one with two different teams he has four mvps i think he's he's kind of run the gambit in terms of everything you can do as a professional athlete especially when it comes to the you know the most dominant position in the in the most popular sport um so yeah good for Aaron Rodgers if he does it i don't think he will we'll get into that deeper in the nfl team previews all right up next in this rundown segment the un the us women's national team won their match against vietnam on friday uh, 3-0. We didn't, I, dude, I totally forgot that the Women's World Cup was happening this summer. Like, yeah, it's... I, it usually happens earlier. That's why. That's why and, I forgot. Yeah, and it's, it's, where is it? Uh, Australia. Yeah. So and New Zealand, I think. I know, yeah. Because that's what, I'm like, I know it's like some, um, and that's like the furthest time zone away. That's like the absolute, like, yes, it's bookend opposite. time zone. Yeah, yeah. From us. So, like, these games are getting played at like 3 a.m. And it's like, that's the other part that kind of sucks is like, you're yeah. not... Yeah, it's it's a different time than it normally happens, but it's also like a completely different time zone from us. So it's not even like we can watch these games. So yeah, but they're I think I think they are making it so that um all like all the U.S. games or most of the U.S. games are at nine p.m. there or sorry nine a.m. there, and so we can watch it here at nine p.m. Yeah. or something like it's something like that because we were because the the Vietnam game was on at nine p.m. on Friday, mm-hmm. which is kind of unusual for a World Cup game, but. Yeah, that's why. Like, there were a bunch of games at, like Matt said, 2 and 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, lucky for us, we get to see them 
or most of the U.S. games. I think that they're, they're doing that on purpose. But, but yeah, anyway, going back to their win against Vietnam on Friday, 3-0, it seems like a pretty big pretty big margin, but a lot of people were thinking that it was going to be a much larger one. Um, and we do play the Netherlands on when this coming upcoming Wednesday. So I'm going to ask Matt here, is there some, some concern based on our performance against Vietnam? Because Netherlands is a lot better. I don't know if they're as good as the men's Netherlands team, who's always good in every World Cup, it seems like. But... I've heard that the that the women's Netherlands team is very good. There there are competition there are only other competition in our group right now. So um, do we think there's some concern there? I don't think so. Um, the one thing I'll say, yeah, to kind of reiterate Hayden's point, the the betting line on the game was the spread. It's different across all sports, obviously, but the spread was six essentially. So the fair even law lo- even line was was essentially the women's national the U.S. women's national team to win by six goals. Like that was like what you're betting on, yeah. right? For at even odds. And they didn't come close to that, obviously. Uh, but if there's anything I've learned from looking at these other scores and the betting lines and other games too, there's been some really wild results. Like, like just this morning, France played. Um, was it? Was it? Was it? I think it was France and Brazil, or France and or some other. Sc- France was like the heavy favorite, like minus two thousand or something. Uh, and they tie and they drew zero zero. Like it, it wasn't even really that. So and there's been a ton of other results where like these there's these random like penalty kicks are being missed and these teams that are heavily favored are kind of either going down or, or not looking that great. Um, and so I think the group stage is kind of kind of kind of proven to be a little bit weird. Um, I, is it cause for concern for us? I I don't I don't think so. But I mean you know. That could be. I don't know. I think the, the other thing, too, is, like, there's still – we still have the staples, right? Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino. This is kind of going to be their their last World Cup, I think. But, like, Sophie Taylor is one of the girls who's, like, 19 or whatever. She's really good. Uh, so, I think that kind of the influx of new talent kind of while keeping the – the, the core, or the you know, the stars who have won, I think, one of the last two of the last four World Cups, um, is is a good is a good kind of core to have for a team that is kind of transitioning into into kind of the new age. Um, but but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think that you know, obviously, the women, the U.S. women's team is is one of the favorites to win the whole thing. So I think that kind of as the as the games go on, you know, you'll get more kind of used to the feeling of it, and 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 it'll ramp up. But like I said, the, the results so far have been very interesting in terms of who's supposed to win, and it doesn't really happen. So um, I think we'll get out of the group. But as Hayden mentioned, may have some trouble against the Netherlands and and uh, you know, and kind of some other teams along the way here. So I'm hoping we do well, though. Obviously, I hope that they keep kind of showing the games at, at times that it's we're able to able to keep up with it and watch it. Yeah, you want to notice something crazy, Matt? The at one point the odds and my my buddy actually texted me about this. One of my roommates he bet on the game because Vietnam at one point was plus ten thousand to win, and that means that the, that the U.S. was minus a hundred thousand, I think, wow. at one point to yeah. against against Vietnam, which is crazy. It's like you got to bet a hundred thousand bucks to win a hundred <laughs> if if the USA wins. So uh, actually, my um. My roommate ended up betting on Vietnam when it was when they were plus ten thousand. He put one dollar, which he would have won a hundred bucks. Yeah. He would have turned one into a hundred. <laughs> yeah, if um if Vietnam would have won, which honestly, yeah, I mean it it, it was like it was two zero in I think like the seventy fifth minute or something like that. So it, they weren't that far away from winning. They just never they didn't they they actually didn't even get one shot. 
not not even like shot on goal. They didn't. Vietnam didn't get one shot in general in in the vicinity okay. of the goal. So that makes it feel a little bit better. I yeah, think, I think the U.S. are gonna be fine. Though. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on to our last uh, rundown segment here. I'm gonna let Matt take this one because he wrote this one down. It's about Bob Huggins. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah. So Bob Huggins was fired. Uh, he was the men's basketball coach at West Virginia. Um, he's been other places as well, Texas Tech. He's he's been a, a couple different places. Um, one of the one of the winningest head coaches in the history of college basketball. Like seriously, a legendary head coach. Uh, he was fired because he got a DUI. He was, he was I read like the report on it. It was insane. He was like, he was like dry. He, he was driving with a flat tire in Ohio and got like pulled over by an officer. And he like was trying to drive his car and it was going like two miles an hour. And he's holding up traffic. So we like pulled over and he was like trying to fix his tire. And again, he's like black at this point. And the officer comes up and like ask him questions and stuff. And he literally, this guy thinks he's in Pennsylvania. Like, she's like, what, where do you think you are right now? He's like, I think I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm in like this Pittsburgh thing area, whatever. And he's like three hours west of there. So yeah, it was, it was kind of bad to worse um, from that. He also a couple months ago was on some, radio show he was talking about xavier and he made a homophobic comment he came under a bunch of slack from that he reconciled everything he took a pay cut or a fine or something um for as a result of that comment that he made and then this obviously the dui thing kind of was the icing on the cake to be like yeah this guy probably shouldn't be uh employed anymore so but the story that happened like after subsequently to to this whole thing happening is 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 what's really hilarious about this all right so prior to the university being able to and i think this was probably kind of agreed upon in the internal circle of things as well is that when stuff like this happens usually the the university kind of is talking to the coach and is like hey like we'll give you some time to kind of reconcile your stuff essentially saying you know between the line reading between the lines you can kind of or they're basically trying to say you can resign now so that it doesn't look like we're firing you. And that's kind of essentially what happened at the beginning of this whole story. But believe me, it gets a lot better. So a couple of days after this DUI thing happens, there's a letter that comes out, signed Bob Huggins, resigning from his position as the head, head basketball coach of, of West Virginia. And there's even reports of him then going back into the facility and cleaning out his office, taking his boxes. He's, you know, he's moving out, whatever. And then, like, two weeks later, there's a report that pops up out of nowhere basically saying Bob Huggins said that he never resigned from his position. He's still the coach of the University of West Virginia's basketball team and that he's still waiting to be here, you know, waiting for anything to come down from, like, he, he said he's not been fired and he's not resigned. He's still the coach as he knows it today. And it's like, <laughs> what the heck is happening? <laughs> Apparently, as to what Bob Huggins says, his wife, quote-unquote, was the one who wrote the resignation letter that originally came out again signed bob huggins and everything in there says like you know right these actions in the last few months like i apologize you know this is not how i want to how i want to you know carry myself whatever i'm going to submit myself to you know to um you know to counseling and all this stuff like all the all the all the buzzwords that you want to hear when someone does something like this and, and that you know they're kind of you know reprimanding their own actions uh and then he just comes out and is like i didn't do any of that it was my wife like for some reason throwing her under the bus and it's like dude you were in the facility cleaning out your office how like where is what's the disconnect here i finally figured it out though apparently he had a pretty big buyout now and we talked about this a lot in the doomsday series last summer but when a coach is hired First of all, there's no salary cap or NIL thing, whatever, regarding coaching contracts. So it's essentially up to the university and their boosters and their endowment or whatever to be able to pay the coach however much money you know they think is worth it or whatever the contract is agreed upon. Now, if you fire a coach 
for cause, that means that you have reason to believe that the coach is, you know, res, whatever is, is you know, should be fired and, and, and you can prove it legally and whatever. Um, in that case, whatever is remaining on the coach's contract, you are not, you know, not ob- obliged essentially to pay the remainder of that contract. So, you know, and, and this was kind of the, the, the big thing with, um, with the, uh, the St. John's hire when they hired Rick Pitino and, and they fired another guy and they fired him and they were basically like, oh, well, you, you – the, the existing St. John's head coach, they were like, you left some players out of team meetings. And he was like, that's complete BS. So he sued the school and he won because they didn't actually have a cause to fire him. They just wanted to hire Rick Pitino and they paid him out the money and so that's what it was. But essentially what they tried to do – or what the the idea is that if, if there's if there's legal cause for for you know firing then you know if this guy has three years and you know thirty million dollars left on his contract if you fire him for performance essentially meaning you don't want him to be the coach anymore because he is not performing up to the ability that you thought he or that he that you thought he should have when you hired him you have to pay a buyout and that's the essentially the remainder of that contract you still have to pay him um, and 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 that's. I mean that's just that's why it's great to be a Division One head coach at this at this point in the in in the cycle of things, but obviously like I said if you fire for cause you don't have to now. What I think happened here was that Bob Huggins <laughs> realized that he still had and I don't again I don't know the numbers but something along the lines of like two or three years and and tens of millions of dollars that were left on his contract and so he's like wait. <laughs> If I resign, I'm not going to get it. It's so funny because I can totally imagine he's like he's like a you know a bigger guy and kind of a lumberjack and he's just kind of like you know out here just saying stuff whenever he wants. I can totally imagine him being like, ah, oh, yeah, I probably screwed this up. I'm I'm just not going to go anymore or you know be the coach anymore. And then his legal team comes out and he's like, dude, you still have all this stuff in your contract. Make them fire you for cause, or else you can you should be paid all of this, uh, you know, all the buyout, and you can make tens of millions of more dollars. And he's like, oh yeah, wait, that's what I should have done. So now he comes out and he says that all this stuff was fake, and he never. And it's like you were in the office cleaning up your stuff. <laughs> Let me like, put the boxes back in my office because yeah, right. I can make all this money. Yeah, yeah, the same car that had a flat tire when I thought I was in Pennsylvania and I was in Ohio. Let me just drive that back to the facility, put my stuff back in my office. And I'm still the coach of West Virginia. So, yeah, the, a hilarious, hilarious story. Obviously, I do think that at this point, I mean, the university should have enough to be able to fire him for cause and not have to pay his buyout. But he's going to make him go through with it anyway. It's just so hilarious. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't even know that. So that's that's a very, uh, very good story there by Matt. But with that being said, we only had three topics in our rundown segment. We usually have four, but uh, we got the magic number three today. So that's going to end it off for today. The whole episode. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. As usual, we will be uh, we will be aiming to come back with another episode later on this week, and that should happen because it's just kind of another another normal week here for for Matt and I, um, and I will be back in Charlottesville, so we won't be in person, but that's all right because the Zoom ones aren't. There's not that big of a difference, not much of a noticeable difference between the quality. Um, it's, it definitely is better in, when we're in person, but yeah, we'll we'll be back on Zoom on Wednesday. It's looking like, but. Um, but still going to do an episode. And again, that'll be our first, we'll probably do our, our SEC big 10 episode then because those are the more fun conferences rather than doing ACC pac 12 and big 12. So, um, that's what we'll do on Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that. And like I said, at the beginning of the episode, if you, you know, if you're still here, you, you definitely listen to the beginning. We'll be doing a bunch of football from here on out all throughout August. So, you football fans, uh, get get ready to rock because we're we're gonna rock you your world with our football talk. Okay, it's time for us to go now. So we will see you uh, later on in the week. Bye.